0: Well, so here we are halfway through our Radiant God Trusting His Word series. And really, we're almost halfway through uh, 2020. If you think about it, it's probably been the longest year of your life and maybe the shortest year of your life. Um, But uh, can we laugh at 2020 for a second together? Can Can we do that? Like going into this year, everybody was thinking 2020. Vision, oh, vision, this is great, this is going to be a great year, we're going to roll out vision, we're going to progress together, and then this happens. The pizza falls on the floor, and that is a travesty. One of the great things about 2020 has been all the memes that it's created, and um, and uh, one of uh, my wife's favorites and, and our favorites is, uh, is waking up like this every day uh, in the pit of despair. And uh, if you don't know uh, Princess Bride, I would encourage that uh, to your viewing pleasure. You'll thank me later. And, um, and then probably my favorite one of the year so far, uh, I like to think about uh, time travel. And uh, yeah, it's... Uh, uh, but we can laugh at 2020 because the reality is, is we know who's in control of 2020, right? And, uh, and we can rest in the fact that God has it. He's taking care of it. And uh, we know that and can uh, sit and rest in that. And so we, uh, we really are halfway through this year. And we have been deep diving on our new church name, Radiant Bible Church, and um, we are reminding ourselves why Bible was such an important word to keep in that name. And for years we have said we are big about the Bible around here. You may have heard that phrase a few times if you've been around, and, uh, and I hope that we're having a growing sense of Why? And uh, so grateful for Nate and Cody and the gifts and the ability that uh, God has given them as communicators and bringing us through this series. And uh, today you're stuck with me, so sorry about that. But uh, so far, um, we've been reminded that, um, that God is speaking to us through his word. Like God is speaking. And that this book has his authority t- attached to it, and then it, it tells us the awesome story of himself and his covenant relationship with his people, and redemption, and and our place in all of that. And yet, I fear there is something that too often happens when we think and talk about the Bible. It's a book. And uh, sometimes we treat it like a textbook, and immediately we default to head knowledge. We are trained throughout our days in school with textbooks to uh, spend time with them and learn as much as we can so that we can regurgitate it out on a test. And uh, the danger is, is that it's a book, and you don't have a relationship with a book, right? Right? Books you study to learn. It's, it's a transaction, not a relationship. But God's book is not a textbook. It's not a textbook of, of things to know and understand for a test. It's a loving communication from a heavenly father who desires relationship with his children. It's a note from Dad. And so today, let's hear from him on this Father's Day. God is not just a knowledge God. He wants our knowledge of him to fuel deep relationship with him. This is not a dead book. This is an active document, a living active document that like Hebrews 4.12 says, tells us and pierces our hearts. I like this Timothy Keller quote, talking about God's word. So knowing the Bible, knowing the Bible is no end in itself. We know it in order to seek him with all our hearts, to know fellowship with God. You see, reading the Bible isn't an academic pursuit. It's a relational pursuit, a relational pursuit to know the heart of God and to have relationship with him. And so today I want us to keep that in mind as we uh, turn in God's word to Psalm 119 and talk about rejoicing in the word. Rejoicing in the word. Psalm 119, verse 162. We're gonna start at 162 and then we'll, we'll get back here later In our time together, it says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Rejoice. Rejoice. It's a a Hebrew word, sus, that in its meaning has both an internal and an external reality. The, The internal reality is to have a feeling or attitude of fondness and enjoyment in an object implying a love or relationship to that object, the object of delight. And to rejoice in something, we have to have that in us. We have to have that love and that desire and that delight in us. And then the external reality of rejoice means to display that thing that's in us to display the joy that exists in you. So to be a rejoicing people in the word, we, we've got to have this joy in our lives about God's word. But how do we get that? Uh, I, I'm really glad you asked. Uh, we're going to look all the way back at the beginning of Psalm 119. Go back to the beginning of Psalm 119, verse, verse 1. Psalm 119 is one of the coolest chapters in all of God's word, and it's all about God's word. Almost all of the 176 verses reference God's word in one way, shape, or form, and uh, it, it uses uh, words like law, or statutes, or commands, precepts, testimonies, promises, words, all of these referencing the Bible and this psalm 119 is is we have to remind ourselves it's also a, a poem it's it's a beautiful work of art as well it's an acrostic poem and it's 176 verses broken into 22 sections of 8 verses each each one of those 8 verses in each section starts with a hebrew letter of the alphabet, and it goes from from all 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And here in on verse one, it starts with Aleph. And I wish we could look at this whole chapter together, and uh, but we're gonna narrow in on a few sections this morning. So verses one through eight. You ready? You guys ready at home too? All right, here we go. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules." I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Blessed are those. What is it saying when it says blessed? What does it mean? Is it, is a, is it a material blessing? Is it a, a spiritual blessing? What kind of blessed are we talking about here? Well, the word in Hebrew is asher, and it means a heightened state of happiness or joy implying very favorable circumstances. And it can be translated, and it is translated in other places, uh, how happy, how happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Verse two, how happy are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. Now now raise your hand if you want to be happy. Right? Like, now, now turn to your neighbor or somebody on your couch and say, I don't want to be happy. I don't want to be Like that's ludicrous, right? It doesn't even sound right. You can't even hardly say it. God put that desire in your heart for happiness. God designed you with that desire. It's not bad. But we've distorted happiness somehow. The world distorts it for us. We distort it to ourselves and uh, we make it look completely different than God's design. We think we'll be happy when we've got more stuff or we don't have any more problems or our 401k is filled up. We look for happiness in all the wrong places, in entertainment, in food, in vacations, in popularity, in power, in toys, big people toys and little people toys, right? And the list goes on and on. And the reality is is we don't get any happier with those things. I love how Lewis talks about God's design for our happiness. C.S. Lewis, God not only understands, but shares the desire, which is at the root of all my evil, the desire for complete and ecstatic happiness. He made me for no other purpose than to enjoy it, but he knows, and I do not, how such happiness can really and permanently be attained. God designed you For happiness. But God's design. For your happiness. Is relationship with you. Through his word. And so if our God knows. How. We can attain this happiness. Let's look at how he says. How we do it. So verses one and three again. Happy are those who whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. We walk in the word. Those who live in his word, we are those who live in his word, take step by step, faithfully seeing God's word as a partner for each day and each step that we take in this life. If you think about walk, if you think about walking, it's, it's the most basic form of transportation that we have, right? It's the most basic thing to take us from one spot to another spot. And most of us can do it, and most of us can do it for a really long time, and most of us do it for most of our lives. When we walk in the things found in his word... When we walk with God, we move from one place to another. We move from darkness to light. We move from hate to love. And we move from discontentment to satisfaction. But that's not all that he's asking us to do. We look at verse 2 and 4, 5 and 8. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies who seek him with their whole heart. Verse four, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Verse eight, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. We walk in the word and now we keep the word. Keep means to observe the word, to obey God's ways revealed in his word. Keeping is like what James 1.22 tells us, that we're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers as well. We are keeping it. We are obeying it. And then we move back to verse 2. Blessed or happy are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Seek him. To seek, to desire relationship with God. To seek him out. And where do we find him? We find him here through his word. And this is not a passive thing. We're not just sitting around here like monks waiting for God to speak to us. We're actively seeking him through his word. Desiring relationship with him, with our whole hearts, it says, as well. Not just a part of our heart or most of our heart, our whole hearts. We don't have sections of our heart that we hide off from God that we don't want the light of his word to shine into. No, we've got our whole being engaged in this context of relationship with him. And so God's design for our happiness is found in walk in the word in keeping the word and seeking him through his word. And that can be a little bit nebulous at times. And so what does this look like? What does walking and keeping and seeking really look like? And he goes on to tell us in, in, in section the second section, in nine through 16, starts with, how can a young man keep his way pure? Just a little bit of an aside for those in the room that would identify themselves as young. if we get these things right as young people, how much stored up happiness we can have in God throughout our lives, how money How many things can we avoid that will drag us down? Go speak to someone who is older, who has had experience in this, and they will tell you and they will testify to this reality that seeking God in his word brings joy and happiness. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments And then here, 11 through 16, it's going to lay out some different ways that we can put flesh on these bones, that we can see what it actually looks like, some examples of what it means to, to walk, to keep, to seek him in his word. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Stored up or to memorize. It's one thing to read something it's a whole nother thing to to memorize it. When you memorize something, it's always at your disposal. It's always right there at your fingertips. And when something is at your disposal, it benefits you most. Say you're struggling with anxiety. And you've got this thing coming up today and you know it's going to uh, be rough, and you're starting to grow anxious about it, and and yet you have Philippians four six uh, committed to memory, where it says, "Do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, bring your request to God." And so you take that thing that you're struggling with, and you're like, "God, I give it to you today. I trust you with it. I know that you're in control, and I pray that you would." that you would lower my anxiety about it that i would let go of the worry there's no amount of worry that i can do that's going to change it and so memory when we memorize god's word we learn how to keep god's design always at the forefront of our minds in verse 12 blessed are you o lord teach me your statutes you see you see what the psalmist is here in this verse he's a learner so we memorize and then, and now we learn. These days, uh, it's really easy to find someone who is a self-proclaimed expert at something, right? Like everybody's an expert at something that they haven't studied, that they have no idea what they're talking about. Just just YouTube something. And you'll find someone who thinks they're an expert at it. And that shouldn't be us as we're going to God's word, Right? Like we should lean into the Lord and His Spirit and open our hearts and minds to truth. Don't go into God's Word thinking you've got it all figured out. You go to God's Word with a submissive, learning spirit. We want to learn who God is and who we are in light of Him and who He's called us to be. When we are a learner of God's Word and His ways, we submit and conform our thoughts to his thoughts. Verse 13, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. What does this walking and seeking and keeping look like? Well, one of the things is declare. Speak God's word. Pass it on. We can declare in a lot of different kinds of ways for Many different purposes. But we should always be looking for ways to declare God's word. You could give testimony of what God is teaching you and how you are seeing it make an impact in your life. Doing that reminds you that he is working and he is active and it reminds someone else that he is working and he is acting and that his word is making an impact in people's lives. You can declare by teaching, teaching God's word to others. I know experientially, even from this last week, that there is something about declaration that solidifies truths deep down into your soul. I know it has caused me joy and gratitude and lasting impact of his word. And you you may not have preaching opportunities, um, but I know you have some teaching opportunities, whether it be at home or some of you have even done it in Radiant Kids and you've grown to love God's word as you've been teaching it to little ones in our church. But it doesn't have to be formal teaching, It could just be uh, uh, through your relationships and personal discipleship as well. Who do you have around you right now that you have an iron sharpening iron relationship with that you're bringing God's word to bear into the circumstances that you guys face together? Or maybe it's your participation in small group. Is your participation based on your own opinions? Or is it based on what the Spirit of God has been teaching you if you've been seeking him through his word? When we declare God's word, it sinks deeper into our hearts while proclaiming the greatness of our God to all that would have ears to hear. Let's look at verse 14 and 16. How else can we be doing this? In the way... Of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Delight in. That, that's the same Seuss word that was used for rejoice over in 162. And this one, in the context, it's centered around the internal reality of enjoyment that implies relationship to the object of delight. Delight is proof. When you have delight in something, it's proof that it's taken effect at the heart level. It's it's broken the brain-heart barrier that exists for a lot of us. God's word isn't supposed to be drudgery or duty-duty. It's intended to be a relationship of delight. And when we delight in God's word, we allow what we know with our heads to inform our hearts and deepen a love relationship with our heavenly Father. Verse 15, what we delight in, we fixate on. I will meditate on your precepts. And fix my eyes on your ways. Meditate and fix our eyes. There may be nothing that's more under attack by Satan in this world today than meditation. To stop and be undistracted and to think deeply about God and the things of his word. Our attention spans are so short. We are so easily distracted by every ding and notification and every entertainment option at our fingertips. So much so that the art of and the discipline of meditation is all but lost. We have wondering eyes and hearts. And here in verse 16, it's, causing, it's calling us to fix our eyes on your ways, fix our eyes on his word. When we meditate on God's word, we cease our wandering minds and hearts and eyes and submit to his desire for us to be still and to know that he is God. And so all of these things put together they uh, put some flesh onto what it looks like to, to be a, a, a walking and keeping and seeking follower, follower of Christ. And it's what we are called to. And happy are those who walk. Happy are those who keep. Happy are those who seek. God and his ways. Revealed through his word are the source of our happiness. And this is how we grow in what Keller said earlier, our fellowship with him. So our source, God and his ways fuel our happiness. You may be saying, Nick, that's a lot. Like, there's a lot there. It sounds a little daunting, Uh, Am I alone in this? Am I pulling myself up by my bootstraps to get this done? Is this a one-sided relational effort from now until? Well, the short answer is gloriously and mysteriously no. You see, there is a holy and supernatural partnership that happens with the Lord. But the reality is that you and I are at one point in time in our lives, for sure, just like Ephesians four eighteen, which says they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. I tried for the life of me to avoid having a Piper quote this morning so that we didn't have to say this series brought to you by John Piper and Desiring God, but Um, I think he says our plight very well in our darkened hearts. That is our plight. We are guilty and corrupt and hard and ignorant and blind without the awakening, enlivening, softening, humbling, purifying, enlightening work of God in our lives. We will never see the beauty of spiritual reality without God's illumination. We will never see the wonder and glory of what the Word teaches without God opening the eyes of our hearts and giving us a spiritual sense of these things. The point of teaching this and knowing this is to make us desperate for God and hungry for God and to set us to pleading and crying out to God for his help in reading the Bible. The reality is, is we can't seek out this kind of life, this kind of obedience, this kind of seeking without God's intervention in our hearts. Our hearts are darkened. We need God's illuminating work to do it. And so that causes us to move in prayerful dependence and so we turn to 33 verse 33 through 40 another section from Psalm 119 this section is a desperate prayer of help a prayer of utter dependence on the supernatural work of God a realization that I can't come to his word alone and that God has to work there is a great integration of one's ability to rejoice in the word and one's prayer life that looks something like the following that we see here. And so we pray in this section, God, through your spirit, verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. See, we pray and ask God to be our teacher, because human knowledge is not what we need for spiritual life and spiritual joy. It's God himself that we need. We lean into him as our teacher and pray earnestly that we learn from him. And we continue that prayer in verse 34, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. We pray and ask God to give us understanding in his teaching because it's one thing to hear something, but to understand something allows us to be able to begin to apply it to every circumstance that we may face each and every day. And the prayer continues in verse 35. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. We pray desperately for God to lead us. Because not only are our minds darkened by sin and the fall. It is God's help that we need to walk in these ways. We walk not in our own strength, but through prayerful dependence on God. Verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. We pray and ask God to incline our hearts because we know that our own hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, and it's only his work in our hearts that moves those selfish desires Two desires that seek his glory and not our own. Verse 37, an important prayer for each day. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Shiny things of this world distract our eyes so easily. And so we pray in desperation each day for God to turn our eyes away from worthless things and onto the eternal life-giving ways of God. Verse 38, confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared We also pray that in all these things we go throughout life, that your word, that your promises would be confirmed, that we would see and experience as we go and as we seek and as we live and as we walk and as we keep, that we would experience the joy and happiness of life lived in tune with God and his word. We pray desperately, God, confirm it, show us, so, verse 39 says, Turn, and we pray, turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. We pray that we would not hear the reproach, the mocking, the taunting of others that would proclaim and say that following God's word isn't worth it, that God's word is narrow minded, that it is out of date, it is not applicable and whatever else you may be hearing about God's word. We pray that we would continue to see and know that God's ways, God's rules, God's word is good. Verse 40, Behold, I long for your precepts, and in your righteousness give me life. We pray that Your word gives us life, a blessed life, a joy-filled life because that's what's available through his ways and in relationship with him through his word. And so God's design is our happiness and the source of that happiness is God and his ways walking, keeping, and seeking him through his word and praying for God's illuminating work as we meet with him in his word. That's God's design for our happiness. That's what God intended to fuel our happiness. And so we go back to Psalm 119, 162, and it says, I rejoice at your word Like one who finds great spoil. Spoil. Spoil, it's it's a battle term. It's like to the victor goes the spoil, right? And the reality is, is oftentimes in this fallen world, these things that we've been talking about and we're seeing in scripture, they're hard. It's a battle. It's a battle against Darkness. It's a battle against this world. And yet, God, in His illuminating work and through His word, meets us, and we find great spoil in His ways and in Him. And as we pray, and when we do that, I'm going to tell you, God meets you there. It's no longer reading God's word for a knowledge pursuit but it's a relational pursuit where you find that God is the great spoil that we're going after and it all results in our true, deep, lasting, God-ordained happiness. We are happy in him. And in experiencing this true, deep, satisfying joy that God intended for us, not the temporary, fleeting, shame-filled entertainment the world peddles to us as joy, we can rejoice. We can rejoice in His Word. We can rejoice in the one that we find in His Word. And we can rejoice as one who finds great spoil. And when we rejoice like that, guess what happens? God receives the glory. Because it's not about you anymore. It's not about what you've been able to accomplish. It's not about what you've been able to hoard. It's not about anything other than what God has shown you in his word and how you should live out for him. And he receives the glory from it. And so we rejoice in that. We rejoice in his word and we rejoice in that God. And then that God receives the glory And so with that going on inside of us, we display, we rejoice in his word. We rejoice in the God of this word that points us to the relationship that flourishes. And God gets the glory because it's his ways and it's his spirit that leads us there. So, God, we pray this morning. As we think about your word, as we learn to rejoice in what you've given to us, we pray that you would supernaturally, mysteriously, and wonderfully meet us here. Meet us in these pages. Let us see you, experience you, rejoice in you, rejoice in your word because we found something that is of great spoil. We thank you and praise you for your word. We rejoice in it. May we be growing as your disciples, growing in our love, growing in our happiness in you and you alone. Praise you and thank you and we respond to all that you are in Christ's name, amen.